Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast. Of course, I'm Karen Rands, and our topic today, the future of work, curve vendors, which is a word that you might probably are familiar with, but in the context of our conversation today with my guest, you're going to get a whole new perspective on that from a business standpoint. And so we're going to be talking about the impact of a crisis on the business, which, of course, is incredibly timely right now, given what the entire world is going through with COVID-19 coronavirus. And part of what, you know, a, a long history of my background with IBM and everything has been, you know, different times in different periods of, of business world. We talked about, and I've done a talk on my podcast on business continue, continuity and making plans and how do you prepare for crises and change and, and even a podcast I did a couple of weeks ago, we talked about when companies realized that they didn't anticipate a change in the marketplace and, and not having a corporate culture of innovation and how that can impact a company's ability to stay in a growth mode. And so when uh, David, my guest, David Nor, my guest today, reached out to me, and he and I have known each other for a number of years in the Atlanta community, business community, and I had been, been uh, in, I was participating in his book launch of Co-Create, and he has this new book, Curve Vendors, coming out. I was like, wow, this is uh, perfect timing. This is really great. And I'm really fascinated to hear uh, what you've, you've written about now because his books are incredibly well-researched and well-written and are top sellers in the business community. He's, David is internationally recognized as leading expert on strategic business relationships. He's actually the author of 10 books. The one that I attended, the launch was Co-Create, but he's got this, this concept called relationship, relationship economics that sort of weaves through his speaking, a lot of his book writing, and I'm sure he'll be talking about that today as well. But I also wanted to, um, you know, he's had a fascinating journey because of what he has, how he has used relationships to create the successful career and impact that he has on the business community today, you know, even as an immigrant with a great immigrant story that he's probably going to share with us on his journey, how he came here to America, the land of opportunity, and has done this and gives back in such a great way to these businesses to help them navigate and manage to anticipating the crisis and I'm going to save my question, my first question to him, but first I want to go ahead and bring him on and say hello, David. Thank you very much for being on the show. Karen, uh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so, you know, let's do that. Talk about the journey because clearly you are passionate about um, relationship economics. And I read in your bio that you mm. came here as a young man from Iran with not a lot, you know, you know, to your name or or with you when you came, 
And and it's fascinating that you have done what you've done in your life to be on the boards that you're on, be an influencer within a startup community, to have an impact on major corporations and, and what you do and as you speak. So tell the listening audience about your journey and how you became so renowned in your expertise. Very kind of you. Uh, I, I am I am the the poster child in many ways for the American dream, and I want I want your audience to hear that it's it's alive, it's well, and it's believed by by so many around the world. So you're exactly right. I was uh, I'm originally born I was born in Iran. Uh, parents are now retired uh, teachers in Persian literature and Persian history. Uh, I came to the U.S. in 1981 with a suitcase, Karen, a uh, hundred bucks to my name. Uh, mm. Didn't know anybody and didn't speak a word of English. I wow. came as a teenager. I came and finished finished high school here and went, you know, got my Eagle Scout here. I was I was uh, I, I went to college here. Lived with an aunt and uncle that I hadn't seen since birth, and I grew up in Atlanta. and uh, And I wrote. You know, I, I, I tell a lot of friends, my career has been in three phases. Phase one was early on technology, so IBM, Silicon Graphics, business objects, a lot of tech companies in sales, marketing, sales management. Phase two was uh, really consulting, startup, and, and private equity. And phase three has been on my own, uh, really advising, researching, educating, and coaching executives. And in my first book, Relationship Economics, I wrote that I certainly didn't get it then, but I distinctly can remember being, I think I was five or six years old, walking through the bazaars of Iran with my dad. And I, and I saw him not just pick up, you know, what mom wanted to make that day or cook for us or, you know, odds and ends that he needed around the house, but dad also had a relationship list. And he made sure that on our Friday errands, he saw, we saw individuals that he believed were instrumental to us, whether we needed access to a plumber at the house or uh, a politician, the rest of the world builds relationships first from which they do business. And I learned, unfortunately, in the U.S., unfortunately, in a lot of Western business climate, you know, we're so focused on the business. And if you think about the current crisis, current storm we're in. We're so busy with the checklists and the priorities and that in many ways, we, we only when we cover those, right? Only when we review the pipeline, only when we look at, you know, the next investor conference and what are, you know, where can we go raise capital? Only when we go through our checklist, do we then think about the relationships and we get yeah. around to asking people, how are you? How are your family? Are you guys safe? Are you, how are you weathering the storm? So that's I'm a, I'm a one-man mission flag-carrying crusader to mm. to really help people see that their biggest asset really is their portfolio of relationships. Yeah, we used to call it the Rolodex, right? And and you your <laughs> right. human capital was was really built in your Rolodex. And it was the difference of of people being able to get new opportunities in their career path or I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's interesting. And we'll get into this in just a second, because it's all about what we were talking about yesterday when we were preparing for the call, for the show today um, on, uh, you know, uh, the difference in the human capital and stuff. So let me, let me ask my question on this. So, you know, when back, back in, I guess, 
late 80s, 90s, you know, definitely into the early 2000s, this whole idea of big data, data analytics, decision-making on decision dashboards, cloud computing, because then all your data could be housed there, all of that stuff, and the whole way that marketing and advertising and digital crumbs is done today, it's all so much about data. And we used to always worry business continuity plans at IBM were always about how do you make sure the servers are up, right? How do you have a backup mm. in another state? Because it was all about making sure you didn't lose your data and lose your access to computer computing. And that was one of the big original cell points of, of uh, cloud computing and things like that at the time. And, you know, all of this and then, you know, fast forward, we've kind of had a culture where we have become data or our digital screens have be created barriers to relationships, particularly as young people, because mm. they don't they don't have the same sense. They, sometimes they struggle with how to you know develop friendships and relationships because they've they've been so cultured into this digital screen concept and and navigating what's true and not true within their social environment. And so there's, you know, there's this, this piece of the data side of it that we have built business concepts and business strategies and models on. And what I thought was interesting when you, when I was reading about curve vendors was the, mm. your three C's. Okay. I'll let you, you share that, right. But the three C's, but it was, it was building upon this, 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 foundation of data and that data is still just as critical and I think what we've seen in this latest crisis where we're now having to social isolate is that we are relationships we're realizing how important human capital is so with that you know share about your CCs and, and your viewpoints on those things absolutely so so to give your listeners a little context uh you know, my my last 20 years, I've been a student of business relationships, right? So how do they work? Where do they come from? Why do some people build them dramatically deeper and more impactful? How do we screw them up? How do we fix them? In essence, how do we never use but leverage relationships to accelerate getting things done? So in relationship economics, in the first book, I talked about how to be more intentional and more strategic and more quantifiable in the relationships you choose to invest in. Fast forward book number 10, I wrote about co-create, which is applications of relationships and innovation and really creating something that neither one of you could have done alone and really beyond even your own expectations. Curve Benders takes that idea. It's my Star Wars trilogy, Karen. And I I talk a lot about uh, this idea that um, at this intersection of future of work, So if you think about the next two decades, how we work, how we live, how we play, and how we give, those four aspects of our life, we identified 15 forces that we believe will dramatically impact those areas. And this current uh, coronavirus is an example of one of those called the black swan event, which is they're not, they're not, you know, totally predictable. We, we, we're aware of them. We've had pandemics before we realize what pandemics can do, we've just never seen one. We don't know the timing of them, and we don't know the impact of them. And they're seldom purely a biological solution. So even if we come up with a, with, a, with a vaccine, or if we come up with a treatment of some sort, 
it still is going to take the human psyche some time to get back to the way we were doing things. So in navigating the current storm, Karen, much more importantly, in thinking about what is our post-crisis recovery and rebound looks like, I would submit your relationships are your biggest asset. And specifically, the three C's you referenced are creativity, uh, really, really collaboration, and, and really, you know, driving uh, a different type of um, co-creation, a different type of uh, really thinking about your environment, your value proposition, thinking about change very differently. So think about the massive labor shift that's going on right now. So with all the people that have been laid off, think about the, the restaurants that they're no longer need their dining areas because people are not going there for dining. But you know what? They would, should build a drive-through because we love their food and we're right. so cooped up. And, and, and I don't believe that's going to be a sh- just a short-term thing. We would love some of that food. So if they had a drive-through, can I go pick it up or have their own delivery engine, if you will? And they were open for not just lunch or dinner. They're also open for breakfast. So this is an example of change, creativity, collaboration that really becomes an enabler of your ability to adapt, your ability to not just survive, but thrive in a time where the demand, what people need are becoming very different. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's the, and I, as you think through, I think there was a point that you made uh, yesterday about this uh, idea of essential business or or the you know who's still allowed to work and you start to think sure. about what what does that mean because as we know our corporate a lot of our manufacturing is going to more robotics so does that mean that people will run and men and just like we used to do remote monitoring of networks and stuff they could do that within the electronics of a of a factory and a factory can continue to manufacture sure. What does that work with all of these co-working spaces, right? Now people, yep. you know, are having to adjust to working at home. They're not, they don't necessarily need to travel as much anymore because they can still get business done. My husband's downstairs on his computer and having conference calls and decision-making and collaborative tools and all kinds of tools that you, you didn't even realize you had already on your phone. You now, or on your computer, now you, you're using these tools and getting work done in a completely different way than we did a month ago. Absolutely. And, and, and again, what we saw as a luxury, working from home, remote access, <laughs> remote collaboration, getting work. As we saw all those things, as lo- many of us did, as luxuries, it, they all became necessities. So you're exactly right in that we've been, you know, forget about disruption as a interesting theoretical concept that we should we should at some point read about or talk about it is front and center and it is absolutely an example of i don't know about you in the last two weeks i've washed my hands more often than i can remember (laughs) and i've worked i've worked more hours than i can remember right because we're you know i've got a friend who's vice president of engineering for a for a major global company the engineering team is at 85% productivity. Karen, to give you a reference point, 
seven, in, in the low 70s was the highest number they had reached, like in the last 10 years. And now the, the vice president of engineering is thinking, I wonder if our engineers could keep working from home even after this storm, even after this pandemic. Because now they're seeing what is possible, what is the potential, what is what we're capable of doing. And these are all examples of the breadth and depth of your relationships. They're, they're really the the attributes of your personal brand will matter more than ever before because our relationships are many ways are shifting. And this, again, the last two weeks, the last month of it is, is, is an example of this. Our relationships are adapting to not just a physical connection, but a virtual one as well. And when our relationships are coming increasingly more digital, how do you do that? How do you lead how do you effectively lead in a time of crisis through those relationships is a, is a fascinating kind of thing to think about and, and really work on your own self-awareness, right? Right. And I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, we're, we're you know, for me, I, I have worked remote for a long time. And I, and now that I'm required to, it's, um, I think we, you what, and let me know what you think about this, that our hunger for the human interaction of relationships will, I think, make us more present in those relationships when we do have the opportunity. So if we create new habits of working this way where we're, we're, very, we're much more focused. And then we, are we called out on time so that when we're with our family, we're very engaged with our family. When we're with our friends, when we're with – when we do get together with coworkers, there's a deeper level of bonding while you're also collaborating on things. Does that sound like you think absolutely. that's part of the direction that we'll be going? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to I want to build on that and delineate for your listeners traditional crisis leadership. If you think about it a second, traditional crisis leadership that we were aware of, number one was very episodic, right? It it there was a beginning, middle, and an end. This current one, it, it seems to be a, a longer lasting than any of us anticipated. Number two, past crisis that we've known of typically has been either a company or an industry, right? So a, a coal mine blows up or something happens or a, you know, here's something that happened in the pharmaceutical or manufacturing industry. So in many ways, crises were very isolated. Number three is, is if you dig into any of the past crises you and I can think through, there was a, there was a time that, that we became complacent. There was a time that we became vulnerable. There was, a time, there was a runway where the crisis happened to us if it wasn't our own causing it. This one is different in many ways. And, and I think the uncertainty of this one is, is really getting people to focus on what you brought up, which is our fundamentals, right? That human connection, the human touch. I think there's a massive pent-up demand we're all going to have to just get out and be with other people. The challenge is, are we going to really feel comfortable, or when will we feel comfortable flying or staying in a hotel or attending another live event or sporting event or conference or whatever the case may be? So really important, really important 
for us to be absolutely be present in those everyday relationships. Stop getting on Zoom calls and trying to multitask. It is a it mm-hmm. is a it is a fallacy, right? Stop yeah. you know having the device in your hands when you're eating dinner or talking to other people, because now more than ever we need that focused attention. We need that. Right. Um, Pay attention to me. Talk to me. Listen to me more than more than ever ever before. So you mentioned that uh, the black swan as being one of the elements. Uh, mm. Briefly go through. There's 15 that you address in your book, your upcoming book, Curve Vendors. I, I I do. So we've we've taken some that that your audience are absolutely gonna you know gonna recognize. They're gonna they're gonna you know, they understand relationship strategy, right? They understand, uh, again, most recently I wrote about uh, this, this idea of co-creation. So those are some of those. But I also introduce or reintroduce or reinforce for them um, some things that they may not have thought of, such as grit. So Angela Duckworth, that's her seminal wow. work. Um, if, you, if you think about people that are uh, absolutely uh, resilient, and they have a uh, both a passion, but also perseverance. I mean, that's how she defines grit, right? Of people that are uh, getting through the storm are practicing that. Uh, so what is it? How does it work? The right mindset, that learning mindset that says, you know what? I, I'm going to, I've written a whole chapter on building for companies, build a culture of experimentation. As individuals, we need to experiment. I don't know about you, but... I wasn't born knowing all the digital tools that we have to use, right? So how did any of us learn it, right? How did any of us learn any of these apps? Well, we tried it and we downloaded it and we worked with it for free for a little while. And so that learning mindset is critical. Um, I talk a lot about um, this idea of diversification. People who invest understand diversifying your portfolio are important. How about diversifying your skill sets? How about diversifying your revenue streams? If we haven't learned from the gig economy, you better learn that if, if Karen, you know I speak extensively, if, if, I'm a, if I'm purely and only a keynote speaker and all those events, all those conferences just got canceled, I better go find something else to do, right? So diversifying your skills, diversifying your revenue, visualization, less text, less death by PowerPoint, more visualizing. Uh, so we do this thing called strategy visualization where you – in a, in a picture, one page, you can articulate your story. Other examples are technology. You talked about that, how we're going to continue to see it's going to amplify demographics, unfortunately, which also leads to haves versus have-nots. You and me and, and, and a lot of your listeners, we're, we're, we're all knowledge workers. So we have access to Internet, and technology is right now saving the day. I keep thinking about the people on the south side of Atlanta. I keep thinking about the people that don't have access to online resources that we do? How do we make sure they're not left behind? How do we make sure we're aware of our social responsibility as anything else? Shrinking planet, volatility, we've seen that in the markets, storytelling, the economy, and how intertwined our economy is. Those are just some of the examples of the 15 forces that we've identified as headwind, tailwind, or turbulence. Okay, so... We, uh, the audience that listening today is uh, investors and entrepreneurs, and I always try to bring this sure. together for 
because, you know, my, one of my, I guess, hot points that I try to drive home is that the greatest source of wealth creation is being a successful entrepreneur. And the next mm. greatest source of wealth creation is in a successful entrepreneur. And, you know, sure. that is new. That concept can be new to a lot of people, you know, that have not really been exposed to the idea of angel investing or how do you go about investing in entrepreneurism or I'm not, I have a dream of being an entrepreneur and I'm not really sure how to start a company and all that kind of stuff. There's lots and lots of help for people to start companies and more, more help, you know, particularly what my goal of my book inside secrets to angel investing was for entrepreneur, for investors to, to help figure out how to share in that wealth creation strategy. But a big part of it is under, mm. is, is under understanding these kind of success principles because we saw it in the stock market just recently. We see it in all kinds of things. They, a thing that causes your growth curve to suddenly take a curve in the wrong direction are these crises mm. that you can't real that you didn't anticipate. So there's certain ones that you can't anticipate and you can plan for and you can think innovative in corporate culture. So talk, pick out another one of your one of your um, fifteen and talk about it when it comes to creating a safe environment within a corporate culture to be able to uh, continue to innovate, continue to encourage uh, new ideas, and everybody's got a voice at the table. I'm sure that's that's something that's within part of a of a strategy for a growth curve and the relationships you have inside. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So let me let me let me stick to my wheelhouse and and that which I'm passionate about and I've and I've been a longtime student of, which is really the, the relationship strategy of both uh, startup founders and investors. So I spent six years at a private equity firm and we did 110 deals in those six years. And Karen, every entrepreneur we worked with, I encouraged them to really look for smart capital. And by that I meant, there's a, you know, there, there was before the, the most recent market meltdown, there was no shortage of capital. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go one step further. A lot of it was dumb capital, capital that didn't understand uh, business model innovation, capital that didn't understand, you know, an entrepreneur's need to quickly pivot, capital that didn't understand, you know, what questions to ask to challenge their assumptions. Conversely, smart capital didn't just bring the capital. That's just one resource. Too much capital, I've always believed, can, can ruin a startup. Because you get mm -hmm. stupid and you start to spend money on things you have no business spending money on. Con yeah. Conversely, uh, right? Conversely, not enough capital is also a, a, a pandemic of a different kind yeah. because you can't attract the talent that you need to, to accelerate what you're doing. If nothing else, this crisis right now should be a wake-up call to every entrepreneur, every founder. Is my value proposition mission critical? Is my value proposition a priority in the hearts and minds of my target audience? And if you're not having those conversations with those customers, forget investors for a second. If you're not out there talking to, I call it a listening tour. I've spoken with 38 executives in the last two weeks. I called these, I made a list of my most strategic relationships, 
I picked up the phone, called them. Number one, how are you doing? Number two, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Number three, what are your top priorities? Number four, what crossroad are you at? Number five, what scar in your past is fueling your drive? Look at the questions I'm asking. Look at the questions I'm asking. I'm getting to know them as an individual. I'm getting my finger on the pulse on the ground of a lot of different industries, a lot of different size companies, a lot of different geographic markets. I've talked to a CEO of a 50-person company, and I've talked to the CEO of a 15,000, you know, an $8 billion in revenue size company. So getting different, your finger on the pulse of different lenses of the sector gives you a really good glimpse into, okay, where do these people need help? Is my solution, again, mission critical in the hearts and the minds because they're going to evaluate logically, but they're going to decide emotionally. Are you a, a mission critical in the hearts and minds of your target audience? If not, this is the time to pivot. And that right. pivot can't be you're going to go today, you know, we're building, you know, a fintech app. Tomorrow we're going to go open up a kitchen, right? It, it, you, can't, you can't completely abandon what you've invested <laughs> in, and that's why it's called a, a pivot, right? So can I right. pivot my value? Can I pivot my value delivery? And, and smart investors are going to come alongside you. Smart investors that you've nurtured those relationships with are going to believe you and then believe in you as you, in fact, pivot, as you come up with new interesting ideas, as you test, as you pilot and prototype your new direction. So I would say that, that, that the idea of, of really your relationship strategy becomes your biggest asset, not just in the current storm, but absolutely in this post-crisis recovery. Absolutely. Yeah, that spot on, spot on. We can probably do a whole other segment sometime about entrepreneurs and investors that have given a company too much money. <laughs> I've got some stories yeah. about that in the early, <laughs> early days. Anyway, it was a learning lesson. <clears throat> um, Okay, so we have about 10 more minutes here. I want to make sure folks that are listening uh, get more information. You can get information about David's books. You can get information about this, his upcoming book. In the show notes is a link to a video, but you can find it on YouTube as well. But it's just the NOR group, N-O-U-R group, G-R-O-U-P dot com, to get to his website and get all the access to his contact information and all the great information that he offers as well. And so, you know, in our, our final um, few minutes here, what else would you like to, to talk about within relationship of a, of a, of a takeaway that you feel, feel the folks here today need to uh, listen to, to understand. And then also the, you know, a value that they'll get when, when your book is coming out and when is your, are you expecting your book to be released? Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, writing the book. Let me answer the second question first, and I'll come back to the first one. So uh, I've been thinking about this book for about four years. I have six grad students that are doing uh, different uh, levels of social science research on it. Obviously, the coronavirus has uh, n- not just throw a monkey wrench in kind of what you're thinking, but it highlights. It absolutely highlights. Like I said, black swan events 
was one part of it. And, and, uh, and, you know, building a culture of experimentation, continuing to learn and grow, uh, through different mediums, through different relationships, those have all been elevated. So the book is slated to release this fall. Uh, a lot of my contemporaries, and I've done this in the past as well, we write a book and then we get out and talk about it. On this one, I said, wait a minute, why don't I get out and talk about it and have a podcast and, you know, be a guest on, on some podcast and share the ideas and just get from my audience what, what resonates. So uh, I'm excited. I, I think it's uh, the content of strategic relationships, the content of future of work, the content of these forces. How do we remain relevant? Um, a lot of people understand that relationships are important. How do you go from importance to their significance? Uh, I've talked a lot about your, and I'll talk about a couple of these more in a second, your personal S-curve. How are you reinventing yourself? Um, Karen, one of the things that I continue to see amongst leadership teams, and, and regardless of size of companies, there's still the stigma uh, attached to vulnerability and candor and failure. And we've got to get to a place where we destigmatize that. And we've got to understand that vulnerability isn't weakness. And confidence says, I know a lot, but there's a lot I can learn. Arrogance says, I know a lot, and there's nothing new I can learn. So sure. candor becomes radical. Candor becomes incredibly valuable. There's some, there's some really new research on failure that, that definitively shows that is part of us learning and evolving and growing and getting better at something. And you got a, a friend of mine, uh, Erica Anderson has written a book, be, you know, be bad first. You gotta be willing to be bad at something first before you can learn and grow and improve and get better at it. So, so what I believe curve benders will do is allow the, the reader, allow the audience, to really think not just about a life of success, but one of significance, not just uh, finding curve benders in their life that can change their direction, their destination, but how do you become one? How do you become a curve bender? And something that I want your audience to think about when it comes to their relationships is one, a fascinating lens that we uncovered in this role of a curve bender, in these relationships that, again, change our future, change the direction of our lives, is that they often see the best version of us. They see the biggest potential in us. They see this journey of now to next from within us. And that wisdom and that faith and that nudge in some ways allows us to take prudent risk and test new ideas and test new directions and test a new career or new path. And, and they become invaluable because without them, we would end up on a very different journey. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> so they're very good. Well, thank you so very much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your insights. I think it's uh, just perfect for this. And I hope that our listening audience will visit David's uh, page, learn more about him, connect with him, get the book. Um, 
apply these principles to your business, to your strategy as you look at trends in the marketplace and where you're going to put your dollars to work to create wealth, the areas that you see opportunity for pivoting in a business as you try to create multiple streams of revenue so you're not completely dependent on something that's completely dependent on human interaction like that and the volume that it takes to keep a brick-and-mortar business going where you need foot traffic and think about the relationships you have to go and cultivate and develop those relationships uh, deeper. This is a great time for doing that, reaching out. Um, there's just so much as you, if you keep your eyes open and be present and aware in what you're doing as you're coping yourself, you'll see the opportunities that are out there and you'll be, you'll come out of this on the other side in a, in a stronger way, stronger personally, stronger relationshiply, stronger, hopefully financially, business wise, you'll figure out an opportunity. And I want to encourage everybody to go to my website, KarenRands.co, K-A-R-E-N-R-A-N-D-S.co. And learn uh, about what we do to help entrepreneurs as they're navigating their growth strategy and scaling and with um, investors that are trying to figure out how to evaluate the companies that they're taking into consideration and how to get companies that have plateaued to get to that next level of growth so there can be an exit because there is no return on investment if there isn't an exit (laughs) or at least an exit on the upside, right? So... Uh, thank you again, David. I look forward to seeing you around and being at the, the launch when this book comes out. It'll be, I'm sure it'll be uh, uh, well-received as, as all your books have been. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Very good. And everybody, onwards and upwards, stay safe.